0: Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 4 is where we are. Hey, there's someone else we need to introduce to you this morning, a brand new couple. We've got a number of couples that have gotten married here recently, and uh, typically after they get married, they don't show up to church for at least a year (laughs) until they start having problems. And this couple's only been married for a week or so, so they're either having a lot of problems or church is really important to them. It's Daniel and Rebecca Denny right there. Would you guys stand? Watch not you stand? Okay, yeah. They still have that glow. So they didn't come because they're in trouble. Okay, we have a Bible study. And I'm excited about this Bible study. I've, I have been off for the last couple weeks, and uh, it has been a good rest, and I am locked and loaded. So look out. Um, I'll have to see if I can get through this without crying. Typically, um, when I take time off, it's, it's usually to recharge and recalibrate. And wow, unbelievable. And... Uh, What the Lord has been speaking to me about this text is is unbelievably impactful, and I hope it impacts you as it has me. So let me get a hold of myself here just for a minute, and how it changes everything is our current teaching series. We're working our way through the book of Acts. It's Courage Under Fire. Courage Under Fire is the title of this weekend's message. And I'm convinced of this. I've experienced it in my life. Many of you have experienced this. You cannot encounter the resurrected Lord and Savior, the Creator, Sustainer of the heavens and the earth, and remain the same, there is no way. There is no way that you can remain the same. He radically changes our lives and continues to change our lives until He comes to take us home. And if you continue to walk in vital union with the Lord Jesus Christ through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, this is really kind of the thesis statement, um... summary statement of this whole book of Acts that we're studying. If you live in the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ through the power and the work of His Holy Spirit, you are no longer suited for a normal life. And one of those uh, abnormalities, you might say, one of those characteristics is that uh, you are going to have courage under fire. Let me bring you up to speed where we are in our story thus far as we head into the fourth chapter. So you got Jesus, he's crucified, he resurrects just when they thought all hope was gone and they, they encounter the resurrected Lord and Savior. He hangs out with them for 40 days, preaches to them, teaches to them about the kingdom of God, promises them, Acts 1, 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, literally meaning you're going to give your life for me. You're going to be so captivated by my love that you're going to give your life for me. You will die for me. And that's what we're going to, it's kind of really where we're headed with this study, and that's where we're headed in the book of Acts. And so he then ascends into heaven, and they wait in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, chapter 2, and uh, something miraculous happens, and they begin to proclaim the wonders of the glory of Jesus Christ. There's a crowd that is attracted. Guess who stands up and begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? The one who denied Christ three times. That's Peter. And he does that in some two, three thousand people. In fact, let me read. I think it's some, some two thousand, no, three thousand souls come to faith. They join that local church, and what it says in chapter two, verses forty-two through forty-seven, that they were consistently diligent in the apostles' teaching. So the study of the Bible in fellowship, prayer, the breaking of bread. They just begin to hang out together. And then out of that, then chapter 3, we have Peter and John heading to the temple to pray. They see a lame guy at the temple gate. They look at him. He looks at them. And he says, hey, we don't have any silver or gold that we can give to you, but we're going to give to you what we've got. And they pray for him. And this guy is miraculously healed. And he gets up walking, leaping, praising God, attracts another crowd. And guess who begins to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ once again for the second time? Peter. And uh, so people are, are attracted because of this healing, and he begins to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But guess who's ticked off? Guess who's angry? The, the leaders, the religious leaders of that day, they're in the temple court. And so they come and they arrest these guys and they throw them in jail overnight and they threaten them, hey, quit talking about this Jesus. They don't give a rip about this guy whose life has just been impacted, nor do they give a rip about the people that are hearing the gospel for the first time and their lives are being radically changed. Just shows you a little glimpse of what religion is all about. And yet it so impacts the people there and these guys are so disturbed over it, they throw them in jail and that's the story that we're looking at. And these guys demonstrate amazing courage under fire. And this is just the beginning of persecution that begins to hit the early church, the first century church. The first century church had something so powerful within them that they were able to face unbelievable persecution. Lest we just kind of rush over that word persecution, let me tell you a little bit of what they uh, experienced. They're going to be thrown to the lions. You guys are familiar with that? Church history tells us that. They're going to be sawn in two. Hebrews 11 tells us that. They're going to be mocked and and scourged. Uh, They're going to be tied to horses. Horses going opposite directions. Their limbs are going to be pulled off their body. That's what they're going to face because they proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Another thing that they did to these early Christians is they would drill holes in their head and pour hot lead while they were still alive. They would dip them in pitch and uh, impale them on poles and light them on fire. They light the courtyards of Nero with Christians because of their confession of faith in Jesus Christ. This is just, just the beginning. And uh, they were stoned. And that's not the marijuana stoned. They were had rocks, big rocks chucked at their heads and their bodies. They were chased. Many of these will be chased from their homes. The only one that are going to be left in Jerusalem here shortly are just going to be the leaders. The rest of the people are going to be scattered from their homes. Imagine being, having to leave your home because you're being so persecuted because of your faith in Jesus Christ. You flee your home. You leave your possessions. You've got to get out of there for your life. That's what they're going to face. And yet, here's, here's the amazing thing. They faced it with, with unbelievable peace, poise, and power in the name of God. Now, how did they do that? What are you facing? What are your difficulties? What are your struggles? See, here's my logic. Whatever they had within to face the unbelievable persecution then it is certainly sufficient for no matter what you are or will ever face. So let's find out. In this story, we're going to find out what did they have so that they had courage under fire. Would you bow your heads with me? Take a moment. We're going to pray and then we're going to dive into our text and unpack this study this morning. Maybe you're feeling a little bit like you, you need courage under fire. How many by show of hands would say, Man, I don't maybe have the fire that they're getting, but I could really use some courage right now. If ...for the fire that I'm facing. Show of hands, show of hands. Yep, quite a number of people. I see those hands. God, more importantly, sees those hands. God, you see our hands. You see our hearts. You see our needs. There are many of us that desperately need you this morning and we thank you that you promised us that you would be here to meet with us. You love us. You have given your life for us. And because of that... We can approach you not based on our righteousness. There is nothing that we can do to earn or achieve a right standing with you, but you have freely given that to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus. His death on the cross is our righteousness, and therefore we can boldly come before the throne of grace, your throne, God, with confidence, so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So meet with us this morning, we pray, Lord Jesus. We so desperately need you. We want to have courage under fire. We know that your grace is sufficient for all of our needs, and you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind, as it tells us in 2 Timothy 1.7. So may your perfect love chase away all the fears in our lives. As it says in 1 John four eighteen, teach us how we can have courage under fire for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Take a look at uh, the text here. I'm going to read completely through it. Try not to comment too much about this text. But we're going to answer three questions. What is courage? Why do we need courage? And where to get courage so that we can have courage under fire? And so I begin reading chapter 4. You know the text or the context. And uh, here we go, and as they were speaking to the people, so they've gathered a crowd after the healing of this lame man, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. By the way, you need to know that really these three groups of people have nothing in common intellectually and spiritually. There's quite controversy, but somehow they are joining together to oppose Christ, which tells us that unbelief is much deeper than an intellectual issue. Unbelief is much deeper than an intellectual issue. So let me continue reading. Greatly annoyed, so they are greatly annoyed with Peter and John because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about, how many is that? 5,000. So it goes... From 3,000 to 5,000. And on the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with, with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, this is Peter and John, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? I love it. <laughs> then Peter Filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, this is the Peter, as I stated, denied Christ three times. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Lazarus, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Really significant verse. Significant word, verse 12, next really important verse. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Another important verse, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men they were astonished. The word astonished, it's, it means that they marveled. They were in wonder. Wow! And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. <laughs> what could they say? The guy was lame. He, he, he's was in front of the temple for many years like this. They knew him. They saw him. They knew who he was. They couldn't argue against that. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? Well, not in the least bit intimidated. Kind of throws it back on them. It says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. In other words, should we listen to you or God? What do you think? <laughs> in other words, we're going to listen to God, obviously. And then this is a, really a significant verse also, verse 20. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Literally, the the Greek of that just means we can't keep ourselves from from talking about who we've encountered and what He's done in our life and, and what He means to us. That's what He's saying. We are overwhelmed. We are captivated. We are overflowing. Our lives have been ravished by His love. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, because the people for all, because of the people for all, were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than forty years old. This is the word of the Lord. So, what is courage? Let's answer that first of all. You can see there we're, we're using verse thirteen, where it says, "And when they saw the boldness," NIV uses the word courage. Here's the definition: boldness. The Greek, New Testament was written in Greek. Freedom in speaking, free and fearless, confidence, cheerful courage. Now, when I first read that, I'm thinking, ah, freedom of speaking, I have no problem in speaking. I can speak freely, and that's not what it's talking about there, obviously, because sometimes I need to not speak so freely. And sometimes we all need to have the courage to be able to say no to what we're saying. And so there are those that can speak freely and maybe speak too freely, but it's talking about something different. Let me give you the fill in the blank here. It is the willingness to say and do the right thing regardless of the cost. So it's saying and doing the right thing regardless of what it may cost. Sometimes that may be not saying certain things and other times saying the things that are more appropriate for the circumstances and for the needs of the people at hand. So it is the willingness to say and do the right thing regardless of the cost. Second thought on your notes, an act takes courage if it will likely be painful. If it will likely be painful. Uh, my wife and I don't do it as much as we used to. We used to walk in the neighborhood. Now we go to Thunderbird Park and do most of our hiking three times a week, though that she hasn't been able to go with me the last couple of weeks because she broke her little toe. And uh, notice the sympathy that I had right there as I begin to share that with you. But uh, she is kind of hobbling around right now. She would like to get up there. How many go up to Thunderbird Park and hike from time to time? Okay, cool. Not as many as in the first service. A lot of people in the first service. You guys are out of shape in this service. Um, No, that's not what that means. But but we used to walk in our neighborhood. One of the reasons why we started going to the the mountain because you you had the mountain experience and it was a lot of fun going up and seeing the valley a little more clearly and it's just much better. But we'd walk in the streets in our neighborhood and the reason why we quit walking in the neighborhood is because we had these dogs that that would come out at us to the fence lines and sometimes people would just let their dogs go and it got a little bit dangerous in our neighborhood. And there was times that when we were out walking... A dog would come out at us, and Nancy would courageously push me out in front between her and the dog. And the only reason why she was doing that was because I was trying to push her out in front between uh, me and her and the dog or somehow like that. But, but actually, I wouldn't do that. I, and I had no problem. It actually kind of angered me, being with my beautiful bride and having a dog come out at us. Uh, what was the risk of my courage? What would I experience? Loss of arm or leg? Yes, from a vicious dog. And so when we when we have courage, let me say this again, an act takes courage if it will likely be painful. So I can either face the dog or I can face my wife later for not facing the dog, okay? So there could be some relational pain also when we don't face those things. Not that she would do that, but I would struggle with that if I hadn't protected her taken care of her. And so, an act takes courage if it will likely be painful. Uh, there is the courage needed when there is relational conflict. When you have been offended or you have been the offender and you need to resolve that conflict, there is some emotional, mental, relational kind of courage needed to, to face the pain of that. How many would agree with that? Is that, that that's hard. Are you able to go to someone who has offended you or, or, or you have offended them to ask for their, you know, forgiveness and apologize and work through those things? I was also thinking as it relates to areas of courage, there's another area of courage in a downturned economy. Financially, it takes courage to give regularly and faithfully and consistently to a local church family like Desert Breeze in a downturned economy because I know that many of you, you've told me, some of you have lost jobs, some of you have had your paychecks substantially reduced and so it takes courage to face the pain of not having the, the finances that you, you had in the past to cover all the bases. It takes courage to do that. But how do you get through that courage? How do you overcome the courage so that you can say and do the right thing regardless of the cost? Here's, here's the next point. The pain resulting from an act of courage is overcome in direct proportion to your Christian assurance. What does that mean? Christian assurance. So the pain resulting from an act of courage is overcome in direct proportion to your Christian assurance. Go back, if you still have your Bibles open. keep your Bibles up because I'm going to keep referring back to this text and draw some truths from it keep looking at it. But verse 12, did you notice what he said here? He's pretty bold when he says, and there is salvation in no one else. Did you notice that before that, though, he says uh, that this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. But even before that, he says that you crucified him. So, so he's pretty bold, isn't he? Wouldn't you agree with that? And then to say, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven giving given among men by which we must be saved. Do you understand what who he's saying this to? He's saying to these religious people who through their their religious ritual rites that they perform and that they do, they believe that they are righteous before God because of what they do, because of their behavior by being good, their moral virtuous behavior. And so they have these standards that they live by and he's refuting all of that in this one statement saying, no, There is salvation in no one else. It's not by your rituals. It's not by your virtuous behavior. It's through Jesus Christ. And he's pretty certain. Would you agree with that? He's pretty confident. He seems to have some some gumption, some, some assurance of that. And then look at verse 20. In fact, he says, For we cannot but speak. of what we have seen and heard. So this Jesus, this salvation that comes through Jesus, this is what he's saying. He's saying, um, we know for a fact he's the only way. In fact, we've experienced it. That's what he's saying. So Here's, here's what we can, we can draw from this. Is that the Christian faith is intellectually sound and it's... Um, existentially satisfying. So for any serious seeker, if you do your homework, if you're not intellectually lazy, as most Americans are, if you do your homework, there's enough, there's enough evidence because the Christian faith is historical, evidential, and factual. There's enough, uh, so you can reason to a point of probability, certainly, in understanding that because it's intellectually sound. But at some point, you've got to make a commitment. And when you make that commitment, as they did, they had this experience of phenomenal satisfaction. So you can reason to a point of probability. Certainly, it's it's intellectually sound, but it's also existentially uh, satisfying. We saw Him. We experienced Him. There was an assurance within them that gave them the courage to face off... To the religious leaders of that day, the very prominent religious leaders of that day. Because intellectually, it was sound, existentially, I've tasted of his goodness, and there's nothing that compares. And what I mean by that, by this idea of this intellectually sound, existentially, uh, existentially satisfying, is that it's really almost self-authenticating that I, you know, I can tell you that honey is sweet, but tell you have that sweetness on your tongue, then you know it existentially that it is sweet. Many of you have experienced that. Some of you came to faith by the research of it, and you begin to see that, wow, this is true. And then as you put your faith in the person of the truth... You begin to do something in your life. You begin to taste of a a sweetness, of a goodness, that there's nothing in this world that comes close, that compares. That's what he's saying. We can't help but tell people about what we have seen and what we have heard, what we have experienced. And uh, they had that assurance, amazing assurance. To the degree you are assured of the favor of God is to the degree that you can courageously face anything. This is the root of our problems as Christians. We don't live in the assurance of our Christian faith. Either we haven't done the the intellectual research to look at it, to validate it, or we're not walking in the reality of who Christ is and experiencing Him on a moment-by-moment basis. Many of us all went through the Truth Project. Remember the Truth Project? We, some of you probably still have gone, gone through it and still going through it. And a guy by the name of Professor Dr. Del Tackett, he made a statement that's always stood with me. Maybe you can remember the statement that he makes. He says, do you believe what you believe is really real? Do you believe what you believe is really real? In other words, do you have assurance that God loves you and cares for you and is going to take care of you? Because it makes all the difference in the world. I read a book a couple summers ago. It's from a dead theologian. He was a Puritan, Thomas Brooks. He wrote a treatise on Christian assurance. And this is the the title of the book. It's about a 300-page book. It's a phenomenal book. And he calls it, it's a treatise on Christian assurance. It's called Heaven on Earth. I want you to see if you can track with me on this. This is what he says here. Basically, the thesis of the book is to have grace and to be sure we have grace is heaven on earth. It's one thing to have it. We have it if you put your faith in Jesus, but to know that you have it and live in the reality of it is totally different. He goes on in another place in the book, I wrote this down, he says, there is no higher privilege than to be a child of God and to know it. There's no higher privilege than to be a child of God and to know it. I mean, that goes along with the verse that you've heard me quote many times before. One of my favorite verses, 1 John 3.1. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. He did not stop there. And that is what we are. See, it's one thing to, to kind of know it intellectually. It's another thing to, to have it move you and stir you existentially. To have it go from your head to your heart and then into your hands and how you respond to life's circumstances. That's, that's faith. That's what faith is. That's what, how faith begins to transform our lives. And so, so let me ask you, do you have that Christian assurance in, in, that's so strong in you that you know that God is for you? and not against you and nothing can separate you from his love and he has forgiven you of all of your sins past, present, future and his empowering presence enables you to be what he wants you to be to do what he wants you to do your future is secure in him I mean, do you understand the implications of all that Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross and are you living in the reality of that? that's that Christian assurance do you have any idea what Jesus has done for you? some of you wouldn't be pursuing the stuff you pursue. Some of you wouldn't be living the way you're living. It's what's the root of that is that you don't have that Christian assurance. Is your faith kind of wimpy? feeble? Does your prayer life lack any power, energy, excitement? Some of you are saying what prayer life? Yeah. It's because you lack that assurance. Do you have any idea who it is that you spend time with when you encounter Him, when you talk with Him, when you give Him your heart? This is the God of, the crea- of all creation, the sustainer of the heavens that has given you opportunity to know Him, to experience Him. But so too often we kind of go through the motions because it's not truly that. We don't have that assurance, the assurance of all that He's accomplished and who it is that walks through our day with us and what we have in Him. I love what uh, Mark Twain, I don't even know if he was a Christian or not, but he had some interesting quotes, but here's a quote from him. <laughs> he said, uh, I admire the serene assurance of those who have religious faith. Now listen to this. He goes, it is wonderful to observe the calm confidence of a Christian with four aces. I mean, you get the idea here? You're playing a game of cards, poker and you get four aces.
1: Uh.
0: Hopefully you don't respond like that. Because everybody would be going, I'm out. But I mean, in essence, what he's saying, that's the Christian life. You've been dealt four aces through Jesus Christ. You have everything that you need through Him. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness to the knowledge of Him who's called us by His glory and goodness. 2 Peter 1.3, pretty clear. And so listen, to the degree you understand that, to the, de- is to the degree you're going to go, I'm in. I'm all in. <laughs> I'm giving my life for him. Four aces, I'm winning. That's it. Done deal. I'm going for it. See, that's the idea. Christian assurance. Christian assurance gives you what you need to face anything. Now, how do you get that? This is how I get it. I don't live in the reality of it. <laughs> I've got to confess that. I struggle. I'm on a major roller coaster. I have good days, bad days, ugly days. Sometimes I'm in a in a funk that lasts for weeks at a time. But this is how I do it. I do it through spiritual disciplines as I increase my capacity. In fact, when I spend time with God, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, but the whole purpose of that is so that so that I can increase my assurance of all that Christ is and who He is and what He's done for me, so I can get a glimpse of His glory and His beauty, the and work of Jesus Christ. And lately I've been, and I put these verses on your notes, it's part of the parentheses under this point, but there's some verses that I've been kind of going through and meditating on and reflecting on that have been really of benefit to me, and I just want to read uh, these to you. And what I do is I take verses like this. this is, I, just, I meditate on these verses and I, I try to memorize them and I walk through the day with them and I just remind myself of these things. And, and that's the purpose of spiritual disciplines. That's why you're here today. That's why you study the Bible. That's why you read your Bible. That's why you pray. That's why you hang out with other fired up Christians to stir up that, that Christian assurance so that you can go out and face anything. But here's, a, here's a one. Uh, Isaiah 41.10. Now listen to this. Some of you need to hear this, this one right here. He says this, Fear not, for I am with you. This is God speaking to us. Be not dismayed. I looked up that word that dismayed means that I'm so paranoid. And I'm so freaked out. I'm, I'm focused on what I'm freaked out over. He said, don't do that. Don't be, don't be jerked around by life. Don't be preoccupied with those things. Do not be dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's a a word from God to you and I. And usually after about the 100th time I've recited that and gone through it in my heart, I begin to get just a glimpse of, of God's goodness and His glory. Beginning to break through the hardness and the callousness of my heart. Here's another one. Here's another great verse. Zephaniah 3.17. Oh man, this is a good one. I love it. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Isn't that great? I mean, when you think of God, what do you think of God when you come to approach the throne of grace? Do you think of him like he's like looking at you and you go, oh, not him again. I'm out of here. Jesus, you take care of this this one, our Holy Spirit. And they're all arguing about whether or not who's going to deal with you. No, you take him. No, I don't want to take him. He's he's high maintenance, and uh, this is what it says about his response to us: the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Here's what uh, Nancy and I do. I, what I try to do with the, with our adult kids that when I see him, to be excited to see him because I really am. And I always wanted them to know, man, I just, man, good to see you. Thanks for coming over. And even more so, do Nancy and I do that with our grandkids. And right now, the other two, the the youngest guys are just basically just pooping and eating all the time, okay? And they're just just kind of, "Uh." and we're just as excited, but they can't obviously, you know, figure it out that we're excited about it. But one of these days, eventually they'll begin to start and they're starting to make a little bit more eye contact right now. But these two little guys, little Braden and Cohen, four and three-year-old, they come and we can hear their knock on the door. And we'll go and swing over the door. All right! Yeah! You guys are so awesome! Come on in here. I grab them, we hug Have so much fun, they're hanging off of me. And then they say, Hey grandpa, let's go out to the hammock. So I run out to the hammock and we get in the hammock and we swing, we swing, and then I stop and they go, Wow, Grandpa, that's scary. That's scary, grandpa but let's do it again. Okay, whoo. And it's just like, wow, we, I, we celebrate. We sing. We party. That's nothing compared to what God does for you and I. And that's what that verse is saying. Do you believe that? Do you have the assurance of that? He sings over you. He says, he will exalt over you with loud singing. God's singing over you. He loves you. That is amazing. And man, I am so, th- so thick. It doesn't mean my hair either. It means this right here, okay? It's my head. I am so thick. And it takes these verses a long time, many times as I meditate and I reflect. It's called spiritual disciplines. And I begin to get a glimpse of His love. And His love becomes a part of my life. Psalm 34, 19. There's another verse I've been re- memorizing for a while just to, to give me that assurance that I need. And the verse that precedes this, many of you are familiar with it, 34, 18, it says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. What are you going through? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Do you believe that? See, that's that assurance that we so desperately need in our lives that gives us the courage that we can face. We can face anything. So why do we need courage? Well, that goes without saying. I mean, there's a lot of things. We need it to live for Christ in a pluralistic, tolerant culture. Let me just, let me back up a bit because it's more than that. It's, it's how many would say that you have family and friends that think that you guys are nut jobs because you follow Jesus. Woohoo! Show of hands. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Here's, here's the stigma. The Christians have an interesting stigma and it's because of maybe their bad experiences or they've watched too much uh, Christian TV. That, that'll help them. Praise God. There's some good TV out there, but not much, just to tell you. And, of course, you've got the nutjobs that try to predict the date when the end of the world is going to come. And you, did you notice on the news, they never, they never interviewed a normal Christian. They, nor, you know, they interviewed all these different people that had sold everything, and he's coming back, and this is going to happen on this date, and all that. And when the Bible says, no man knows the day or the hour, my goodness, what Bible are you reading? Read the book. Study the book. that's not what you should be preoccupied with anyway. Look at Acts first chapter. That's what he said. The, the disciples came to Jesus asking about these times. He says, hey, don't worry about that. You're going to be my witnesses. Go out into the world. Win lost people with this message of who I am and what I'm doing in your life. And that's what we should be focused on. But it's just, it's just crazy and there's a stigma. And then add to that, people ask me, so what do you do for a living? I mean, immediately when I say that I'm a pastor I mean it's like I've got a plague that's how people respond to me it's amazing so I'm trying to come up with something new like I'm going to start saying hey I'm a teacher oh what do you teach? hedonism? (laughs) Christian hedonism? oh yeah? hedonism? yeah that's pleasure is your God Christian hedonism? God is my pleasure ooh that sounds weird Exactly. It's, it's really interesting. And so, first of all, we have to have courage. I mean, when I was working on the fire department, we were doing this church. Uh, my captain would call me Reverend Breeze. There's what's happening, Reverend Breeze. You know, so there's all this stigma and all this crazy stuff. You have to have the courage not to overcompensate and try to shove it down their throat, but just to, to, to face off with that and, and have the boldness and, uh, and to deal with that. But but also you have to have the courage to live for Christ in a pluralistic tolerant culture. What do I mean by that? In verse twelve he said, There is salvation in no one else. The Bible's pretty clear, no one else. And and so we live in a society that basically says all roads lead to God and are all equally valid truth claims, and if you disagree with that you're intolerant. That's our society. And uh, and then we come up and we say no. Jesus Jesus actually said he is the way the truth and the life. No man comes by the father to the father but by me. Uh, John fourteen six. And here I, I believe and I know many of you do too. I believe in freedom of religion, but I don't believe that all roads lead to God and are equally valid truth claims. For a number of reasons, I mean one, if you're just logical, it violates the first law of logic, which is the law of non-contradiction. Because look at all the truth claims. They are, diabolically, they are contradictory in, in what they're saying. And uh, it, it just doesn't make sense. The logic, it, that logic doesn't make sense. But, but even beyond that, I believe that Jesus is God. And I believe that's intellectually sound, but it's also existentially Satisfying. And that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. John 14, 6. But he also said a number of other things. He said things like, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never go thirsty. And, and I have to say, I have never found more satisfaction than when I begin to give my life to him and as he began to transform my life from the inside out. It's just, it's, it's amazing. It's stunningly Beautiful. There's nothing more beautiful than His love and His the joy that I've experienced in in knowing Him and experiencing Him. And uh, and so here's a bigger question, though. Here's here's what I'm getting at. Okay. And I, I, sorry, I kind of chased after a little bit of a rabbit, and I do that from time to time. And I think that was important. But here's a bigger thing: Do you know Him? Are you a Christian? Do you claim to be a Christian? And do the people that are closest to you know that? And I've actually had people tell me, I had, a, I had a guy not too long ago tell me that he was a Christian and yet nobody where he worked knew that he was a Christian and then I said, I doubt it if you're really a Christian. I know, that's kind of rude of me to even say that. How do you know, Pastor Ray? Well, it just doesn't make sense to me because if you've encountered the resurrected Lord and Savior, I mean, you're going to let that be known. And I'm not just saying that when you, when you go to work, you know, the first day at work, you're just like, hey, everybody, look at me, I'm a Christian. Just come to me and I'll lay hands on you and pray for you. Praise God. You know, don't act goofy. But there will be opportunities, I will guarantee you. And don't waste all your time, you know, standing at the water fountain witnessing when you should be working. What's going to happen is that they're going to see things. God's going to give you opportunities in that in that experience. I know I, I've had many of those. When I worked construction, when I worked in the fire department, every job I've had, even currently I have opportunity where I'm able to share my faith with others. God gives you opportunities if you are going to be bold in your faith. But you have to be bold. And here's what you're going to face when you're bold. And this is what you see in the book of Acts. Every place they went, there was either a revival or a riot. People either either uh, praised them or persecuted them. And so really, if you're speaking the truth in love, and if you're doing this appropriately, and living it out appropriately, you should get both praise and persecution. Now, what would you say to a person who all they're getting is, uh, is persecution? That's all they ever get is persecution. They're probably not uh, being persecuted for righteousness' sake. They're being persecuted because they're maybe a jerk. Okay, maybe they're being obnoxious. Maybe they're giving all truth, but there's no grace. It's all truth and no love. What about someone that gets nothing but praise? Yeah, he's just the best guy in the world, and no persecution, all praise. It's probably all love and no, no truth. And so there should be this balance in your life that you should see in your life where you're taking some hits and then there's sometimes people's lives are being greatly impacted. See, that would be a good healthy balance to your life. And only you know that and only you can walk through that. But my goodness, if you know him and walk with him and if you've experienced his amazing love and joy and peace, you're going to want Everybody that you care about to know and experience what you've experienced. You will do whatever you can to get that message out to others. Otherwise, what you have isn't what they had, it's not the Christian faith. Okay. Wow. Next point. Stop pretending. So we need courage to live for Christ in a pluralistic, tolerant, Culture. Let me pick up the pace here a little bit. Second one, second thought here to stop pretending and speak the truth in love. Okay, that kind of goes along with that one. The Bible over and over again tells us that we need to be authentic about our faith. No pretense. We don't have it all together. We struggle. That's okay to show those things. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Uh, Ephesians four fifteen and twenty five talks about how we need to speak the truth in love. Now, hear this. Listen to this. Everybody, look up here. You need to get this. Any. Any love that is afraid to confront the one loved is not really love, but rather a kind of emotional hunger or selfish desire to be loved. You guys track with me on that? Let me say it again. Any love that is afraid to confront the one loved is really not love if you're afraid to confront somebody that you love because they need to be confronted but you're afraid to confront them is really not love but rather a kind of emotional hunger a selfish desire to be loved you've heard me say it many times before if I, if I try to find intimacy with another person before achieving a sense of identity on my own through Christ all my relationships become an effort to complete myself you've got to know how much he loves you and live in the reality of that then you can speak the truth in love otherwise you're going to cave in and you'll be an enabler in that relationship because you so are so desperate for them to love you You're not desperate for them to love you if you know His love. Do you know His love? My goodness. His love for you. Do you have any idea? Have you let it go deep into your heart? It is the most overwhelming thing that you could ever experience when you know His love and walk in the reality of His love. It gives you the courage to face insurmountable odds. It's amazing. Next point. To face suffering. Boy, that goes right perfect with the next point, doesn't it? To face suffering and death. To face suffering and death. Man, his love. (laughs) His love can take you through any kind of suffering. And even face death. I said this a couple weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. Suffering cannot rob you of joy. The joy that He gives you, suffering or death cannot rob you of that joy. Only idolatry can. Idolatry will. Anytime we give our heart to anything more than we give our heart to Him, that thing that we've given our heart to is called idolatry and it will rob us of our joy. But when we demote those things and elevate Him, promote Him, that He's the God of our lives, we can face even suffering and death. I read a a statement by Leo Tolstoy. This is what he says. Is there any meaning in your life that your inevitable death cannot destroy. Now think about that. I I thought about that and then I put it in my own words here with a statement. See if you can track with this statement. If you have meaning in your life that inevitable suffering and death cannot destroy, then you'll have courage to face anything. And the only meaning in life great enough to do that is living your life for the glory of God of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only thing. So you are either living your life for your glory or you're living your life for His glory. Your glory, you're going to crash and burn. You build your life on any other foundation, you're going to crash and burn. Some of you already are. You live your life for His glory and you can go through suffering and even death. Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Next point on your notes. I think that it, you can have the courage to even admit weakness and wrong. Let me just share with you some of my weakness and wrong. Oh my goodness. I did a wedding yesterday and it was a bunch of firefighters that I had uh, gotten on the job with when I was working on the fire department. Many of you know my the history that I worked with Phoenix Fire for a number of years and then uh, retired early. Actually, it wasn't retirement. I left because this job was growing. Uh, this, this job, I shouldn't call it a job, but it's a, this church. That was a job. But uh, this church was growing too fast, too quick. And so I made the big move. And so I did this wedding. And some of the guys that I had gone on, gotten on the job with and some of the guys that had gotten on the job after me, maybe a couple years after me, they're all getting ready to retire. Cabins in the mountains. Very lucrative retirement, I am an idolater, and I begin to struggle with that because i I thought, "Oh my goodness, um, I left that for this, and man, this is really hard at times. <laughs> that would have been so much easier. <laughs> And I got the living daylight speed out of me yesterday. So I came home. I'm just being very open with you. And I gotta tell you this, two seconds. Two seconds. One glimpse of his glory. And then I looked at that as being nothing but dung. I began to see the, the difference. And it's so easy for us to be drug into those things and just go, what the heck? Is my life really mattered? What am I doing? Do I feel like I'm on a treadmill? Two seconds of his glory. And it wiped all of that out. I began to see more clearly my wife, of course, my beautiful wife, my bride, who supports me and loves me, said, what the heck are you thinking? Get over here. That's why I don't have any hair up here. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And then I begin to think about what hangs in the balance. Yes, what we did on the fire department was significant, but it was temporal in so many different ways. I love doing that. But what we do here has eternal implications. The stakes have never been higher. The impact is greater. I only needed just a little bit of time with him. Just a little bit of time. And he reminded me in his glory, the deep, durable delight of his beauty and of his glory of who he is and what he's done for me, for me, just me. Not, and even thinking about you, and I begin to look at the faces, I almost want to cry when I, when I talked with some of the folks this morning and I hugged them. I just want to start crying because I, because I knew what God had done in your life. And I said, better, better, better by far. If I live, if I die living on the streets of Phoenix, Arizona, it is worth it. It is worth it by far to know him, to love him, to experience him in my life. There is no greater joy. No greater joy. I love him. And he has done so much for me. So... I'm admitting my weakness and wrong. I have to battle just like you battle. And, I, and it's, it's a hard battle. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Sometimes you look and you go, wow, is this making any difference? Man, I don't see anything. We live by faith and not by sight. Keep your eyes on Him. Let me continue to work through this here. So how do you get the courage? I pretty much have told you that over and over again. Identify what your heart most wants and you'll know your greatest fear. He uses this word cornerstone, verse 11. And uh, he says, there's no other cornerstone. You guys know what a cornerstone is? Most important stone in the building used as the standard to make sure all the other stones of the building were straight and level. Everyone here has a cornerstone. If your cornerstone isn't Jesus, your building's going to come down eventually. It's a matter of time. How do you know what you're building your life on? All you got to do is look to see what the priest and the captain of the temple of the Sadducees were building their life on. They were building their life on, on prominence and prestige and the popularity of the people because these guys, they were greatly annoyed at them. They didn't give a rip about this lame man walking. Again, they didn't give a rip about people's lives being changed. So when you build your life on anything other than Christ, when that thing is being threatened, blocked, or lost, then so goes your emotional state. You become greatly annoyed. You get mad at people because they're interfering with what most, what means most to you. So, So what do you do? You've got to identify what your heart most wants. Follow the money trail. What do you give your money to effortlessly? Look at what you do in your solitude. What are your favorite TV networks? I mean, these are all the different ways that you can begin to see what you're building your life on. Next point. When what your heart most wants is Jesus in His glory, all other fears are courageously put in their place. Uh, he, he uses this. This is what I found really interesting. Verse 8, he says, Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And we, you've, we did a whole series on the Spirit-filled life. And uh, the Spirit-filled life gives to us what people go to the bottle to get. What do people go to the bottle to get? They, they go to the bottle to get courage, in peace, and joy, and so they can be more vulnerable. Drunkenness dulls your perception of reality so that you can get all of those things. But what's interesting about the Spirit-filled life is that the Spirit-filled life intensifies your perception of reality. God moves from a concept to reality. There's something that the Holy Spirit begins to do in your heart when he, he is the one in whom you are most fearful of losing, the one you long for more than anything, the core of your identity, security, and significance. And when you begin to see him more clearly, everything else in life is done. When you know him and experience him, he becomes more real to you than any job, any relationship. Here's the next point. Spending time with Jesus will give you what your heart most wants and transform you into a courageous, contagious, God-glorifying person. They spent time with Jesus. They were with Jesus. Spending time with Jesus is more than learning information about Him. It is growing in intimacy with Him. See, there's a way of doing Bible study and coming to church where you're not spending time with God. You're just kind of checking the box. Uh, Jesus talked against that. He said, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Matthew 15, 8. John 5, 39-44, Jesus said, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that they bring you life. But they bring you to me and you miss me. So you can even study the Scriptures and miss Jesus. So there's a way of spending time with Jesus that it begins to reassure you of all of who He is and what He's doing in your life. Now, some of you actually use this to to go against the fact that, well, see, you don't even need... uh, you don't need education. These guys are unschooled ordinary. Well, they were unschooled in, in their preferred uh, places of study, uh, their seminaries. But these guys were very schooled. They had spent three years with Jesus. My goodness sakes. They were very educated. So it's not against education. It's, it's making sure that your education is not minus Jesus and becoming religious in your study. And so, I mean... Biblical knowledge is necessary, but it's not decisive. Illumination by the Holy Spirit is decisive. So when you study and when you come to church, do you spend time with Jesus? Do you encounter Him? Do you have your Christian assurance growing within you? And you know when you are spending time with Jesus because His comfort exceeds all worldly comfort, these people are going to have to flee from the comfortable homes that they have. But knowing Him is more comforting than all of the comfort of this world. And you know that you're spending time with, with Jesus when His approval is more important than, than all of the approval of the world. And then the last point. Gospel-centered courage looks for God-ordained opportunities to take risks in putting on display the glory of Jesus. I mean, you, you see these guys at just almost every every... Moment, there's another opportunity for them to proclaim Jesus. God will give you opportunities to put on display the glory of Jesus. If you are, you can't give what you don't have, but if you're allowing your heart to be filled up with Him, I'm going to share with you, it's only a couple more minutes, and uh, I'm going to show you a video, but let me read this quote from Piper. If you live gladly to make others glad in God, your life will be hard, your risk will be high but your joy your joy will be full many of you have watched the news and since the beginning of this year there have been over 500 tornado fatalities pretty amazing and came across this story from Joplin Missouri about a man who gave his life for his wife and i want you to look at her heart because he he covered her during the tornado and took the brunt of the 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 tornado in it, and it, he lost his life through it. And I want you to think about, about her heart towards him and the courage it took. His love, uh, his courage came out of his love for her and now look at her love for him. And then this is what I want you to do. I want you to think about what Jesus has done for you because that's where the courage comes from for us. Watch this.
2: We have one more story tonight from Joplin, Missouri. As told by someone we met before leaving there, This is the story of Bethany and Don, two young people married six years struggling in this economy but doing well enough to have a house together. Bethany works at the local university. Don had a machine shop and got his realtor's license. They had plans for a family. They had a lot of plans right before a tornado bore down on their house on Sunday afternoon.
1: I mean the house was ripping apart I honestly, it just, it happened so fast and all the pillows were flying off of us. The only thing I managed to do was keep one just right in front of my face.
2: Don Lansaw, a former high school football star and the love of Bethany's life, threw his body over hers as their house and their world was being ripped apart. He covered you.
1: He just has so much love in his heart, and you know people keep saying that he wouldn't have wanted it any other way, but if like if I could have taken twice as much damage just to have him alive, I would have and uh he got on top of me to take the brunt of most of it and you know he's he's my hero he's
2: in the strange period of calm after the tornado bethany thought she could still save her husband who was lying in that bathtub the houses on her street were gone her neighbors were either dead trapped or walking around stunned Don was turning blue. She didn't know it, but he had a puncture wound in his back. Bethany flagged down a good Samaritan in a pickup truck, asking for help in getting an ambulance, but Don was already gone.
1: He just, I mean, he, he did what he could to protect his family. Mm-hmm. And I did everything I could to get him help.
2: Oddly, in the house where the storm took Don's life, it didn't take their high school varsity jackets. It didn't take all the books off the shelves or all the stuff out of the cabinet under the sink. Friends found their wedding photos and brought them to the house where Bethany is now staying. He's
1: just such a great, great man and loved by so many people. And... Um, <laughs> There's a, there's a little guy that stayed with him until the end.
2: Bethany and Don were dog-sitting for Domino the Spaniel. He ended up staying with Don's body in that bathtub after the storm had passed. Don's dog, Whisper, knows something is wrong, so they're trying to keep him occupied, while Bethany tries to just put one foot in front of the other and go on.
1: And to the people that did try to help... I do want to say thank you because we tried
2: Bethany's just a nice person from Joplin, Missouri just like everyone we met there and like a lot of folks there she remains pretty banged up
0: stand with me for closing prayer so if that's true if that's true in the temporal how much more true is that in the eternal that Jesus covered us He covered us and took the brunt of this fallen world to give us fullness of life. And because of that, it tells us, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, saying, that's nothing. Look what I have. I have you. For the joy set before him, you, He loves us. And so may the love of our Lord Jesus Christ so captivate your heart that you have so much courage within you that you can face anything, even suffering and death, for His glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you.